Good morning, church. Fantastic to have you here this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Matthew. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Let's pray. Great and gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, as we study one of the parables of your Son, we pray that our hearts and our minds might be pricked by the speaking of the Spirit through them. But the distance between us today and Jesus speaking this nearly 2,000 years ago not be a barrier. Let us see you as the generously gracious God that we serve. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for his death and his resurrection for each of us, that we might be brought into your family again. Father, it's in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name, that we do pray. Amen. So today is the third Sunday of Easter. If you uh, go to a church that's more liturgical, liturgical than ours, you maybe already knew this or, or grew up in a church that was more liturgical than ours. Uh, you may already know this. Um, a lot of times in the Protestant church or in the evangelicals, more evangelical section of the Protestant church, we think of Easter as one particular day, which is Resurrection Sunday, which we celebrated a couple weeks ago. Um, but really the, the calendar kind of broadens that uh, that out a little bit so that we might really dwell on something that I think is pretty important. Uh, as we went through the season of Lent, there's six weeks in the season of Lent, what we kind of did is we kind of focused on the mercy of God. And in order to focus on the mercy of God, we really had to, we really had to sit in and dwell in our own broken nature so that we could best understand what we are receiving that we do not deserve, which is what Mercy is an easy way to think of mercy is when we when we do not receive something that we rightfully deserve. We rightfully deserve condemnation and judgment from a holy and righteous God whom we sin against. And God in his mercy does not pour out that wrath upon us uh, as he rightfully could and should. When God says to Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat of this the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. And mercifully, he does not surely kill them as soon as they eat it. And so we focus through Lent on the, the mercy of God. But now through Easter, we're going to shift our attention. We're going to come at this story of redemption from a different point of view. We're going to look mostly at the grace of God. The grace of God, we in, in similar ways of defining something. We call the grace of God something that we receive that we do not deserve. Mercy is we don't receive what we do deserve. Grace is what we 
receive that we don't deserve. It is the payment that Christ makes on the cross on our behalf. It is the, as Paul puts it, the propitiation, the, the balancing of the scales, the, the, the appeasing of the God who is justly and righteously angry with us because of our sin. Grace is the blood that Christ pours out for us, freely and without obligation. We're going to be, at least for these remaining few weeks, and there's seven weeks in Easter, and then we've got five, including today, five more. We're going to be looking at some of the parables that Paul, or that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus uh, tells. Namely, we're going to be looking at the parables that Jesus tells that are comparing the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven to something. Normally, whenever I start my sermon, I, I typically I pray to start us out and then I read the text that we're going to think about and study and look at and examine. Right? That's typically the pattern. Now, sometimes I need to break that pattern because Scripture demands that I break that pattern. And, and as we go through these parables, Scripture demands that I break that pattern. Because the, the point or the weight, what, what drives a parable is the moment of shock. It's the thing that makes everybody in the crowd murmur. That's where the value is in the parables. Today we're going to look at a parable of, of some laborers in the vineyard. Your, your Bibles might all have that, that subtitle, Laborers in the Vineyard. Some of you maybe know the, the parable of the, 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 the prodigal son. The prodigal son is not about the prodigal son because it's not shocking for us when somebody who is not allowed to touch pigs is eating pig slop and realizes if I go home, my, I can at least be a, a servant of my father that's better than me eating pig slop. The shocking part of the parable of the prodigal son is when, this, when the father, who has been insulted by his son, has been shamed by his son, girds up his loins, he hikes up his, his outer garment, and sprints and runs and hugs his son. He, he dishonors himself to embrace and love his son. This is what is shocking. Everybody in the crowd murmurs. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. And so we're going to kind of break this apart a little bit, as I think is necessary. Chapter 20 of the book of Matthew, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his Vineyard. Now, we have to break some distance down a little bit. So as we go through this, I'm going to do my best to try to bring the context to us. Because what Jesus is doing is he's telling a story that is representative of something bigger and everlasting. The kingdom of heaven. And when he, when he does this, he speaks into a culture that just everybody knows certain things. 
It would be like referencing basketball in our culture or football in our culture, baseball, a sporting event in our culture. Pretty much everybody in the room, even if you don't follow the sport, gets some of the references. If I say a three-pointer and I don't give you the context of of the basketball game that I'm talking about, most of you understand what a three-pointer is, at least least somewhat to where you would get mostly what I'm trying to say or a touchdown or whatever. But there really nobody in this room, I don't think at least, maybe some of you can, can enlighten me, but I don't think anybody in this room is a vocational shepherd. Or probably, I don't think anybody in this room even knows a vocational shepherd. Or has anybody in this room worked in a vineyard? Has anybody been to a vineyard? That might be one that you've been to. But probably most of us have never worked in a vineyard. And probably most of us don't know anybody who makes it their vocation to work in a vineyard. But in the ancient world, this is something, in in the time that Jesus is speaking, this is something that is normal and natural. It is as common as a road worker. Maybe make a reference to somebody working on the roads. And I bet you every single person in this room has experienced a road worker in the past 24 hours because you live in Ohio. I don't need to explain to you what he's doing by turning the slow sign to the stop sign and vice versa. I don't need to explain that to you. Neither does Jesus. But we have a lack, right? We miss some of this knowledge because we're 2,000 years removed and about 50 cultures have changed and transformed the way we think and reason. And so, hear hear this. I, I really want to encourage everybody in this room to read your Bibles. Read your Bibles, right? Read your Bibles. If that's all you will do, read your Bible. Sometimes, though, that's not really enough. Sometimes we actually have to apply the intellect that God has given us to think about the text that we have. And sometimes that means grabbing another resource that tells us the context of what's going on. Enough of that. As I go through this, I'll try to throw in some of the explanatory context that will help us understand this a little bit better. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. A vineyard is a grape field. See? I don't even know. That's where you go grapes. In this time, a vineyard represented happiness, joy, and prosperity. Now it represents happiness because you make wine from grapes, and wine is alcoholic, and in this culture, that was how you had fun and joy. You drank alcohol. Now hear this. The Bible condemns drunkenness and being a drunkard, a person who is a drunk. But it does not condemn the consumption of alcohol. This represents prosperity. Because mostly, if you weren't very rich, you didn't own a vineyard. And if you didn't own a vineyard, you're probably not going to spend the money on alcohol, on wine, excuse me. 
unless you were going to a party. He went out early in the morning to hire laborers. Most of us in this room experience experience employment where we get hired into a company and unless uh, the market crashes and I need to be laid off because there's no more work, unless I'm a bad employee or I go somewhere else, there is a reasonable expectation that I will keep and maintain a regular amount of work. I will go back the next day and I will not need to be told by my boss, yes, you can work today most of the time. This is a relatively new thing in human history. Most of human history has been marked with labor that happens day to day. Meaning I'm going to go to a certain place where there might be work. Or I'm going to, in in some cases, if I don't know if there's a place where there's work available, I'm going to go to the marketplace, the city center. And and the people who need workers are going to come to that place and they're going to say, I need five workers and you, 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 you. You're going to go and you're going to work that day and they're going to pay you that day. And then you're going to go home and you're going to come back and you're going to do it all over again. Now, if you're a, uh, if you're a hard worker and you're, and you're, going, to, you're going to show up on time, you're going to be there early, you're going to work hard, you're going to work through the day, you're not going to take too many breaks. The next day, you might just go straight to the place that hired you before, hoping that they'll just hire you again. But there is no, there's no entitlement to it. Now, we use the word entitlement in, in, in our society today, mostly against millennials, of which I unfortunately am one. We look at millennials, well, you're entitled. You feel entitled to everything. But here's my argument. Uh, all of you who are not millennials, so are you. You live in a wealthy, prosperous nation, and there is a, there is a relative entitlement to thinking that if I want to work, I should get a job, be able to get a job. It's kind of my right living in America. In the ancient world, in this particular time, really, it's a toss-up whether you get to have work or not, whether you get to earn a money, earn a wage or not for that day, whether you get to go and buy food for that night so that you can feed your family. You were not entitled to it. You had to work hard and continue to work hard and really never slack because there's always people who need food for the day. So Jesus tells this parable and he tells us that he, master of the house, owned a vineyard and he went and he hired some laborers. This is likely six in the morning when the sun comes up. Obviously when the sun comes up changes throughout the year, but Six in the morning for easy understanding. Verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. He has established the wage for the day with the people who are there at six in the morning. He says, if you come into my vineyard and you work all day, I will pay you a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. It would be like talking about minimum wage in our culture. If you work eight hours, minimum wage is whatever it is, eight something. Denarius is one day's wage. Completely and totally normal, natural, nothing strange has happened so far. Everybody in the room is going, yep, 
I've seen this happen every day of my life. Somebody determines to work for a day's wage, and they go out to the vineyard, and they work. Verse 3. And going out about the third hour. So the third hour is three hours from the start of the day, 6 a.m., 9 a.m. Three hours later. Typical working day is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours. One quarter of the day has gone by. Goes out about the third hour, and he saw some others standing idle in the marketplace. This is perhaps not unusual. Like I said, maybe you worked hard, and you impressed the person who you were working for, and they said, come here in the morning, don't go to the marketplace, just come straight here, and I'll hire you again. This is what seems to be as happening in the first group of people. Now the owner of the field, he is going into the marketplace where all the other people who need jobs are congregating and he sees them. So maybe some of these people, they went off to the place that they had been getting hired at and that person couldn't hire them that day. And so they came to the marketplace and they said, okay, well, at least I can get something for today. This is still not unusual. So perfectly normal and natural, perhaps, uh, perhaps there's just not enough work at other places and so they come to the marketplace, and he says, okay. And, and, and to them, he said, you go into my vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. You go work. Go in there. Go work. You want a job? You're here in the marketplace. You're waiting for somebody to hire you. I'm hiring you. You go into the field, and I will pay you what is right. Now, what is right? They've worked. They will work three-quarters of the day. They should get Three-quarters of a denarius. That's what's right. Every single person in the audience would have heard that, would have understood that, and would have thought that. Good. Denarius. Three-quarters of a denarius for working three-quarters of the day, and they go on. He says, so they went. So they went. Going out about the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., And he did the same. Now, this is not usual. Now, everybody in the room is sort of going, wait a minute. Nobody would be getting up in the middle of the day and going out to see if there's work. If you're going to work, you're going to work all day. You're not going to just get to work half a day. There is no part-time laborers in the ancient world. This is unusual. This is not the twist, but this is unusual. Jesus is doing something with this unusual situation that he is setting up. And so he says, you uh, uh, six hours and you three hours, I'll pay you what is right. Half a denarius, and quarter of a denarius. And then, then things start to get really weird. And he says, and he, and he, and he says about, about the 11th hour, 5 p.m. And they're going to work till 6 p.m. There is not a single person in the ancient world who would be standing there at 5 p.m. thinking, I need a job. But he hires them anyway. He says, what are you doing? Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. 
Again, this is not unusual. It's unusual to hire people for half a day. It's unusual to hire people for a, a quarter of the day, and it's unheard of to hire somebody for one hour. Come back tomorrow at a normal time. But he hires them. And I think everybody in the audience, they, 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 can, they can get this. They, they understand he's telling a story, he's telling this He's telling this parable, and it's always there's always seems to be some strange details or something different. And the point of a parable, or the the weight of a parable, like I said, I think the weight of a parable is in the twist. It's in the moment of shock. But a parable is a, a story told allegorically. Meaning it is, a, it is a story that the things that are happening, the, the, the people, the, the places, the things, the, the, the events, the work, the labor, that kind of stuff, all of these things mean something else. It's a, it's a physical representation. It's a story in the physical world that's going to represent something most of the time spiritual. Now, sometimes the things that happen in the story make us think that there are more things being taught to us. And in fact, a, 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 maybe a good number of, of people hold to this belief that a, a parable has really infinite numbers of things being taught out of it. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. At least not in the way where everything that's being taught is equal. We could talk about who are these workers. Perhaps the people who are there at six in the morning. They're the Israelites who are following and working for the Lord for 2,000 years before the, the Gentiles come in. Maybe it's the apostles and the, and the, and the, and the first disciples are there at three, uh, three in the morning, or at the third hour, excuse me. Maybe it's all these, and we could talk about it. But I don't think that that's really what parables are all about. It's too complex. Jesus isn't trying to be complex when he tells parables. He's, he's, he's doing something else entirely. He's giving us one thing. And yes, while those other things are teaching us something, their purpose is always to, to, to magnify the one main point, which I think is always obvious because there's always something that causes the crowd to go, huh? And so we look at this allegory, we look at this parable, and, and the first thing that's, that's really very obvious, and, and it's obvious because we can look at the context around this parable, that the, the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard, that's God. It's God the Father. He hires workers. I think that's us. I think that's the followers of Christ. I think also, if you look at the context, I think that makes sense. And I think that there is a reality that some of us start early in the day. Our parents were Christians, their parents before them were Christians, their parents before them were Christians. We were just born into the church and we lived our lives in the church and relatively lived our lives good. 
I can count on my two hands the number of times that before I was 18 I missed a day at church because my parents took me to church, right? Taught me what it meant to live like a Christian. And then there's the reality that people come in later. Didn't grow up in a Christian home or grew up in a Christian, a, 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 a pseudo-Christian home and then a, a non-Christian home and then an atheist home and then a, a fill-in-the-blank. Pretty soon it's pretty easy to think of those 11-hour people. You ready for the twist? It's a good one. Verse 9, he says, he says, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, they're coming to get their, their wage. And when those came in, each of them received a denarius, an entire day's wage for one hour's work. Do you guys know how to murmur? Murmur amongst yourselves for a second to emphasize this point. Every single person in the room would have turned to the person next to him and went, what? Did I hear that right? He paid him a whole day's wage for one hour's work? It goes, it's even more than that, right? Because it goes into verse 10. It doesn't stop there because maybe some of you went, well, he's going to just pay the guy who worked all day 12 days labor. He's a really generous owner. It says, now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Naturally, I worked 12 hours, he worked one. I worked in the heat of the day, he didn't. I should get more than him. And, and he says, but each of them also received a denarius. Everybody, again, murmur amongst yourselves. This is just, just boggling the minds of the people who are hearing Jesus. What in the world is he talking about? No self-respecting vineyard owner would pay somebody who worked one hour the same as he's going to pay somebody who worked 12 hours in the heat of the day. No way, no how. No self-respecting God of the universe would, would, would offer salvation to somebody who worked hard all their life and then somebody who did it who slept in, who sinned, who spat in God's face for the majority of their life. No, no self-respecting God of the universe would, would offer salvation to that 11th hour worker. Would he? The kingdom of God is like. Hmm. <laughs> it goes on though. Verse 11. He says, on receiving it, they grumbled. Wouldn't you? Dare I say, don't you? Those of you who grew up in the church, who are clean and respectable, who have lived the majority of your life as good people, don't you look at those people who come into the church who are filthy and sinful people and you go, they don't deserve the same reward that I got. Careful. He grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these, these last workers only worked one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But, but he replied to them, friend. 
I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose, what I choose with what I what belongs to me? Or you do do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Remember how I said earlier that pretty much all of us in this room feel entitled to a job? I mean, we talk about the unemployment rate all the time, right? We should all be working. So it's rightfully mine because I'm American. Being American means I get a job. In the ancient world, that wasn't a right. It was barely even a likelihood. And they had the audacity to go to the the one who hired them, the one who, who, not because he had to hire them, but because he chose to hire them. They, They go to him and they say, you should pay me more, even though I agreed to paying, to receiving a day's wage. What is totally right and good and, and proper for me to receive. But that's not the point, is it? Those of us who have grown up in the church, it's okay that you grew up in the church. It is, honestly. You don't, you don't need to have been an obvious sinner to have been a sinner. sinner. <laughs> we accomplish that in very secretive ways far enough. But we don't we don't deserve more because we've been in it longer. That's a caution, I think. But what is this parable about? It's it's not about the worker who has been there for 12 hours. It's it's not even about the worker who has been there for one. It's about the vineyard owner who shocks the world by saying, I am going to pour out my grace upon all who I choose to pour it out on. Can I get some more murmuring? Is, is that not, not mind-bogglingly shocking that, that the God of this parable, the God of Scripture, does not base what He has blessed each and every one of us with. As he does not base His call to salvation on me and on you. Did you hear me? Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe does not look at us, sinners, wretched sinners, and say, you don't deserve it. Because just so everybody is clear, every single person in this room is an 11th hour worker. Not a one of us is a 6 a.m. worker. Every one of us came to him late. And he has bestowed upon us the beauty of his gracious gift, the wonderful work of his son, Jesus Christ, 
to come into this world, not to lead us to be better. While we will become better, because the Spirit dwells in us, that's not what Jesus did on the cross. What he did on the cross was he paid the debt. He erased it. He, he made it invisible as far as the east is from the west. Christ has paid it for you to be with your Father God. Not because of you, but because of him. Oh, And he, he is gracious. He is gracious beyond measure. Think about it for just a moment. Think about it for just just a moment. The reason why the cross is so violent, the reason why Jesus goes to the cross and is so brutalized is so that we would never forget just how much God has poured out on us. It was no measly sacrifice that God paid to bring you, a sinner, into his arms. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we who do not deserve your love have received it. And Lord, not only have we received your love, not only have we received your grace, but it has been generously, abundantly, overflowing upon us. Lord, we humbly receive it this morning. We turn our voices back to you in praise. Because it is all we have to give back. In your precious and holy Son, Jesus.